Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today, we're talking about the Great Explosion of 1626. The day was the sixth day of the fifth month of the lunar calendar in the sixth year of the reign of Emperor Tianqi of the Ming Dynasty, which is to say, it was May 30th, 1626. The place was a spot called Wanggongchang in southwestern Beijing, which was a factory operated by the Ministry of Public Works. What did it manufacture? Material for the military. Armors, helmets, bows, arrows, and, most relevant to our story today, guns and gunpowder. Indeed, it also served as a gunpowder depot. The Chinese had invented gunpowder back in the Song Dynasty, some half millennium earlier, and the Ming regime had been building up its firearms since the Yongle era, in other words, the early 1400s. By 1626, then, the Chinese had had about two centuries' worth of experience in the manufacture, safekeeping, and deployment of firearms. And Wang Gongcheng, guarded by some 70 or 80 soldiers, was the most important factory producing these items for the army of the capital city. May 30th, 1626, saw a beautiful, clear morning in Beijing. You can picture the city back then. 1.2 million residents going about their lives. The imperial household within the colossal crimson walls of the Forbidden City, yes, and the hundreds of eunuchs and palace girls and guards charged to serve them. The eunuchs, uh, the eunuchs during this late period in Ming history had grown into a powerful political faction and in fact substantially controlled politics at court. Members of the aristocracy were perhaps finishing their breakfasts in their princely palaces. Mandarins, from cabinet ministers down to low-level functionaries, were just getting to their respective offices. They didn't drink coffee back then, but maybe a hot cup of tea helped them meet the day. And then, at around 9 a.m., what sounded like a deafening roar spread out from Wang Gongchang at a speed of sound, 340 meters per second. From Wang Gongchang, well, Wang Gongchang is no more. Neither are the other 10,000 or so structures in its vicinity within a 750 meter radius. The tremendous force of, what exactly? An explosion had turned them to dust. All across the rest of Beijing, houses shook and trembled. Men, beasts, trees, and rocks flew up into the sky with the force of it. A 3,000 kilogram or 6,500 pound stone lion was thrown through one of the city gates. Emperor Xizong, or the Tianqi Emperor, was having breakfast 
inside the Forbidden City when he felt the explosion. He jumped up and ran out into the courtyard. He ran so fast that only one of his bodyguards stayed by his side. As the palace shook, a tile fell and struck the guard in the head, killing him instantly. The Forbidden City happened to be under renovation at the time, and thousands of workers were spread throughout the palace complex. At the moment of explosion, some 2,000 workers who had climbed up high or were suspended from above to work on the pillars and ceilings and rooftops fell to their deaths. Deep inside the palace, in the quarters of the imperial consort Lady Rong, everything that could fall fell to the floor. Only some seven months earlier, Lady Rong had given birth to the crown prince. Now the baby boy died from shock. The explosion was so powerful that cities hundreds of kilometers away, such as Tianjin and Datong, also felt it. Subsequent reports from as far as Xi'an suggested they, that they felt it even there. Modern calculations suggest that the force of the explosion was comparable to the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. And the storm of ash rose up to darken the sky and block out the sun, a mushroom cloud. Back in the Wangongchang area, corpses littered what remained of the streets, in some cases stacking on top of one another into piles. Some 20,000 people lay dead, including some senior officials and their families. Bizarrely and remarkably, all of the corpses were naked. Somehow, the explosion, if that's what it was, had blown off their clothes. Just outside of the blast radius, senior officials were among the injured. The Minister of Public Works, whose ministry oversaw Wang Gongchang, had both of his arms broken. And many of the injured somehow lost their clothes as well. A number of deaths reportedly occurred in the most bizarre manner. In the case of 36 teachers and pupils at a school, at the instant of the explosive boom, they apparently simply disappeared without a trace. One Mr. Zhou had arrived in the capital from the city of Shaoxing only two days earlier. He happened to be arriving at the market a moment before the explosion. At the market, he ran into six acquaintances. The seven men were just bowing and greeting each other when the explosion came. The six friends stood unharmed, but Mr. Zhou's head suddenly separated from his body and flew away. The rest of him fell down dead as blood sprayed from his neck. For over two hours, the records from the time tell us, severed body parts like Mr. Joe's head fell from the sky like rain. 
Perhaps most perplexingly, in the Wanggongchang area, at the center of the explosion, there was no sign of any kind of fire. Not a single bit of wood was charred. If you were thinking that an accidental detonation of the gunpowder stored at Wanggongchang was the cause of the explosion, then the total absence of any fire would seem to rule it out. Another argument against that explanation is that, obviously, though the Wanggongchang was a gunpowder depot, it could hardly have contained enough explosives to equal the Hiroshima bomb. Remember, this was 1626. Moreover, as the Ming Chinese had already had two centuries worth of experience with firearms, so they had long instituted safety measures at their gunpowder depots. So it is that other theories have been proposed to try to explain the Great Beijing Explosion of 1626. One theory is that it was really an earthquake, rather than an explosion. But what kind of earthquake produces a mushroom cloud? What kind of earthquake robs its victims of their clothing? Another theory is that it was really a tornado. A tornado would dovetail with the accounts of both people and objects flying high in the sky, and continuing to fall back to Earth even two hours later. But what about the explosive boom? What about the shaking that was felt even hundreds of kilometers away? Perhaps the most likely explanation is a meteor. If a sizable meteor came down from space and headed straight for the Wanggongchang part of Beijing at high speed, and if it then detonated just before actually hitting the ground, in other words, if it experienced an airburst in the sky above Beijing, then it could produce a very loud boom, an incredibly powerful explosion that could flatten buildings and kill many people, and shockwaves. That could damage houses and injure people even many, many miles away. All the while, not setting anything on fire. And it could leave a trail of smoke across the sky, like a mushroom cloud. A recent example of such a meteor is the Chelyabinsk meteor in 2013 in Russia, which. Injured some fifteen hundred people, and damaged over seven thousand buildings. But if it was a meteor, then what's all this stuff about body parts being sucked up into the sky, and raining down even two hours later? And if it was a meteor, then you'd expect Chinese sources to focus on the bright light streaking across the sky, rather. Than the explosion afterward. So none of these theories is fully satisfactory, and to this day, we're not sure what caused the Great Explosion of 1626. Now, many of you have probably heard of this mandate of heaven, 
Western commentators on Chinese politics often highlight this concept from Chinese tradition as something that makes China distinct. Each emperor, each regime, was thought to rule with legitimacy only as long as they enjoyed divine favor, only as long as they enjoyed the mandate of heaven. Once that mandate is lost, then the dynasty loses its legitimacy. Rebellion and revolution then become a matter of course, as the gods themselves are presumed now to favor someone else to become the new ruler. If I may, though, I'd like to point out that much of the talk about the uniqueness of this Chinese concept, the mandate of heaven, is vastly exaggerated. In Europe, until well into the early modern period, were monarchs not supposed to have ruled through the so-called divine right of kings? Was it not the case in Christian Europe that a king or a queen was thought to rule rightfully because they were anointed by God? How was that all that different from the mandate of heaven? And yes, in Chinese tradition, it was believed that signs and omens often presaged the withdrawal of the mandate of heaven. And the omens often took the form of natural or not-so-natural disasters. Earthquakes, floods, lightning strikes, famines, and so on. But again, we should be careful not to overly mystify the Chinese. Natural disasters could happen at any time. When a popular and competent ruler was in power, if a natural disaster struck, it was never taken to mean a shift in the mandate. The ruler, being competent, would proceed to undertake appropriate policy measures to alleviate the suffering. An incompetent ruler, however, when faced with a natural disaster, often failed to respond appropriately. Natural disasters then became, in a sense, man-made disasters as well. The talk of omens presaging the shift in the mandate, then, has always been a kind of euphemistic language that allowed ordinary Chinese to complain about bad government. In the case of the 1626 explosion, talks abounded that the explosion and the incredible destruction it wrought indeed suggested a shift in divine favor. Heaven, or God, you might say, was widely thought to be sending the Xizong Emperor a stern message. Shape up, or I'll replace you. But again, the reason people read the disaster this way was that the Ming government by the 1620s was, in fact, hopelessly corrupt. Remember I mentioned earlier that by this time, the eunuchs have formed a powerful political party. They controlled much of what happened at court, and notoriously, they systematically murdered those mandarins who dared to oppose them. At the same time, beyond the Great Wall in Manchuria, a new and vibrant political force was taking shape, preparing to challenge Ming China. The Manchus at this time followed their first great leader, Nurhaci, 
who was now laying the foundation of their empire. He would die a few months later, in September 1626. Indeed, just 18 years later, in 1644, Norhachi's children and grandchildren would breach the Great Wall and ride down to Beijing to establish the Qing dynasty. As an omen, then, the 1626 explosion was a truthful one. Although, again, it was not the explosion itself that was the issue. The explosion merely gave the mandarins, as well as the common people, an opening to complain of existing and deep-rooted problems. But what a mystery. Nearly 400 years later, and despite all of the science that we moderns have at our disposal, we still can't really explain what happened on that fateful early summer day in Beijing. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.